This is Hitting the Mark. Conversations with founders about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success. With your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Geierhalter. I think paint brands are pretty boring and like, you know, and we wanted every element of our brand experience to feel memorable and to evoke emotion. And so when it comes to things like the color name, you know, color names, we wanted to have fun with that and um, create names that made you feel something. And, you know, and, and, and our brand voice um, on social media, you know, we want to be relatable. We want to talk about what's hop- happening in pop culture and relate our product back to that because that's what people are can care about that's what's top of mind and you know we don't want to just be this faceless corporate entity that no one actually cares about we want to be a brand that people connect with and they follow us because we are approachable and or entertaining um, and inspiring this was interior designer Nicole Gibbons who set out to take the pain out of paint through her brand Claire where she pioneered an easier faster and more inspiring way to shop for paint Fast Company proclaimed the Warby Parker of paint is here, and Nicole has just been named one of Inc.'s 100 women building America's most innovative and ambitious businesses. In a fascinating conversation, we dive into sustainability, physical retail experiences versus D2C, Claire's unique brand language, and of course, the meaning behind the brand's name, which could have easily been Nicole, but ended up being Claire. And you will get to know the very misleading and dangerous side of the paint industry. But before we dive in, I'd like to thank the latest supporters of the show. Anita Kutzina, who joined my creative entrepreneur circle, and James Welps, who jumped on board the Golden Brand Circle. Thank you for showing your support for HTM and keeping this show advertising free. And I'm looking forward to giving back to you on our monthly calls. Join them by going to patreon.com slash hitting the mark. And now, without further ado, over to my inspiring conversation with Nicole. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. No, it's, it's so great having you here. You, you're the founder of Claire, where you saw a huge opportunity to paint the interior paint industry anew, specifically with designer-curated colors, mess-free peel-and-stick paint swatches, which are really cool, and premium zero VOC paint delivered to your customer stores. You set out to take the pain out of paint, uh, which I read somewhere on your site. That's not me saying this. <laughs> you're, you're your modern brand that has pioneered an easier, faster, and more inspiring way to shop for paint. Your mission is to help people everywhere create a home they love. Claire is just a little over four years old and must have been born out of the interior design company you're also running. But your career started at Victoria's Secret, where you served as the global director of communications and events. Tell us a little bit about, about how, how did that idea of Claire, how, how was it born? How did it all begin? Yeah, well, I just want to correct one thing. We're actually only two and a half years old. Oh, so- um, yeah, so we we are uh, we're a very young startup in our trajectory, but um, you know the idea was really born out of this desire to help people create beautiful spaces. I spent you know a decade, like you mentioned, a decade working in in retail as a PR executive, 
While in that job, I started side hustling to explore my passion for interior design. Um, so I did that sort of overlapping for about five years, more or less writing a blog every day and um, you know, doing dabbling in small interior design projects on the side. And then finally, in the beginning of 2013, took the leap to focus on building my design business and my personal brand uh, full time. And so after doing that for a few years, I started thinking about what would be the next extension of my personal brand. Um, and, you know, I never wanted to just be an interior designer. I, I loved the Martha Stewart approach in that she she parlayed her career as like a food and lifestyle expert into, you know, products that spanned multiple categories and, you um, you know, just this massive career that enabled so many people to buy into the Martha Stewart aesthetic. And so I started thinking about what I could do in the home space that was along those same lines and, you know, explored a number of business opportunities and kind of stumbled upon uh, this white space that is paint. You know, as a designer, I bought mm -hmm. lots of paint. I shopped for lots of paint. Um, I helped lots of people choose paint colors, whether it be my private clients, people that I would help doing television projects or even just folks who would write in on my blog or, you know, via social media where I was just sort of offering unsolicited free advice when they had questions. And I realized that shopping for paint is a really difficult process for the average person. If you're lucky enough or fortunate enough to be working with a designer or an architect or someone who can guide you, the process is quite easy. You have someone that you trust who makes the selections for you and you pretty much trust their judgment and sign off versus the average person who's going at it alone, walks into a big box home improvement store, stares up at a wall of 3000 colors. If they want something as simple as white paint, they think it's going to be easy. And then they realize, <laughs> holy cow, there's 300 shades of white. How do I know which one is white? And then, and then sort of thus begins this cycle of, you know, this painful experience, decision fatigue, um, and, and once I realized like how the industry was structured, you know, it's highly consolidated. There's really like two or three major players that dominate the whole entire paint market. It just felt like the perfect opportunity. You know, the companies that, that dominate the paint industry are centuries old. And so these are brands that, you know, are, are, are so giant. They, they really never felt the pressure to innovate or, or modernize. And, you know, when I started Claire um, and really kind of came up with the idea uh, probably around four years ago or so, um, you know, there there were so many other industries where, um, you know, difficult shopping experience has had been improved and modernized. Um, you know, think about glasses with Warby Parker or mm -hmm. mattresses or, you know, all these other categories where, you know, someone took a product that was really difficult to shop for and made it an easy, convenient experience. And, as someone who is incredibly passionate about home and about helping others create beautiful homes, um, this just seemed like the perfect opportunity. And it was a massive market. I didn't want to just do, you know, a, a furniture line or something, you know, that would have been more expected and obvious for an interior designer to pursue. I really wanted to build something from the ground up, tackle a massive market and um, create a sort of industry changing um, business model and and brand. That's that's remarkable. And those those peel and stick paint swatches. It, it sounds like nothing, but it's so huge, right? I mean, you know, if anyone who went through that uh, painstaking process that you just hinted at um, on on how to how to come up with the perfect 
paint choice. Um, you, you have to you have to get all these tiny little cans, which by the way is horrible for the for the environment. All these tiny little cans from paint stores, and then you have to you have to paint you know on on your house most of the time on the exterior interior depending on what you paint. Um, and you you keep going back and forth between the hardware store and your home, and it's just it's 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 a mess. But but those swatches they they seem kind of like post its you know like like by nature. It's just so simple. You just put it on the wall. Um, how did you guys get around to matching the color on, because we're talking about print and paper, um, you know, quote unquote paper, versus paint, which is such a different medium. It must be so hard to, to, to match that identically. And I think you guys pulled that off, right? Yeah, I think we nailed it. I mean, you know, the, the interesting thing about color that mo most people don't realize is that color is, um, you know, is a science and any yeah. color, yeah. Um, really all forms of color has data associated with it and can be broken down into numerical data so that you can, when you're in the color matching process, you can actually measure the accuracy of, you know, our paint swatches to the finished, you know, paint, um, uh, you know, actual paint finish within, you know, the, the most minutia of a Delta E. And so hmm. it's actually quite a scientific process to ensure the color match. Um, and, you know, it's somewhat manual, somewhat scientific. You, you know, you might have to go back and forth a few times until you get it right, but you can kind of measure to make sure that you're within, um, you know, pretty much an exact match range. And that's how you ensure color accuracy. And so we, we have a pretty detailed process. And I think a lot of like with traditional paint brands, when you have thousands and thousands of colors and, you know, they're, they're not offering peel and stick swatches in most cases. So there's the little tiny paint chips that you take off the wall at the hardware store. And a lot of times people feel they don't match. Um, and I think when you are, when your palette is to the point of being, you know, four or 5,000 colors deep, you know, you sort of lose some of that quality control. It's, mm. it's very difficult to maintain 100% accuracy when you have that many colors, and especially if you're not actually controlling your distribution channels, because a lot of people also don't realize when you buy paint from a big box store, they're carrying multiple brands. And so they have to have uh, colorant dispensers or sort of colorant um, uh, in store that work across all the different brands that they carry. And so with that, you almost lose a little bit of um, quality control as well, because, you know, you're working within a colorant system that um, maybe isn't proprietary. And uh, you just there's just more margin for error for, you know, the output in the store to look different than the swatch. Claire is 100% D2C. Um, it seems like having your paint sold at a hardware store would go against what you stand for as a brand. But would you toy with Claire experience stores or pop-up stores of any sorts? Yeah, you know, my belief and the whole reason I started Claire was that I felt that the the paint shopping experience need, needed to be reimagined. Um, and that, you know, we started online because that's where our competitors were not. But I think that there's a huge opportunity to reimagine the future of what a paint store looks like or what a um, paint aisle within a big box store might look like. So that excite that that um, prospect is super exciting and and definitely something we we think about. 
and it's really a matter of timing and opportunity and, and those kind of two things being aligned uh, before we'll, we'll probably make it happen. Which obviously is not during a pandemic. <laughs> but <laughs> other than that, it's, a, it's an interesting opportunity. Uh, absolutely. Let's talk about the evil side of paint. How to dispose of leftover paint. How, how do you navigate sustainability with Claire? Yeah, I mean, I think for us, sustainability is a focus on kind of two major things. One is the product and how it impacts your home and your health and the air inside your home. And the other is our just business practices. So things like our packaging um, and other efforts that we make to ensure that we're really minimizing our impact on the environment. So, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, um, uh, you know, paint as an industry is one of the most um, dishonest and misleading industries um, mm. out there about, you know, it's a chemical product first and foremost. So no matter how you try to spin it, um, there is no such thing as a safe chemical paint it's it's still a chemical product at the end of the day now you can certainly have a better formulation but it's still a chemical product it's not like uh you know the paint is made of grass and leaves or whatever you yeah, know yeah. so the paint industry you know has really been misleading with their with customers about what's in their paint um even stemming back from like you know the 40s and 50s when Paint was made with lead, which, as we now know, is very toxic and harmful uh, to humans um, and, and, and to the environment. But, um, you know, one of the biggest paint companies in the world knowingly continued to sell paint to their customers for decades, knowing that it was harmful to human health and didn't stop selling lead paint until it was banned by the federal government in the 1970s. So that's like a, a very good example of how, how the paint industry has historically operated profit over, you know, uh, people, I think. And, um, you know, even in more recent times, every few years, in fact, um, one of the major paint, paint companies, is paying massive fines to the FTC for misleading marketing. Um, you know, uh, several years ago when, you know, the government started regulating or the EPA started regulating VOC contents in pain and VOC stands for volatile organic compounds. It's essentially like carbon emissions and, um, you know, CO2 emissions that um, are emitted by, by a lot of paints, not Claire, but, um, they, they, when the, when the government started putting these thresholds, so they would say, you know, can of paint can't have more than X volume of VOCs content. Um, what brands ended up doing, and, and another important thing to understand is how paint is actually uh, sold at the point of sale. So generally, companies like a big box store or hardware store will stock a base paint formula, which is essentially like a white paint. And then the colorant is dispensed at the point of sale. So brands would manufacture those base formulas to fit zero VOC thresholds, but then the colorants that were being used were not zero VOC. Interesting. So people thought that they were buying a product that was better for them, healthier for their homes, et cetera. Um, when in reality, as soon as you've chosen your color and they, they put the color in, in the can at the, at the hardware store, you have a paint that's now back to being filled with chemicals. Um, so even that type of misleading um, was happening in more recent times. And, um, you know, so for us, transparency is super important as well. 
you know, all of our paint is zero VOC. It's Green Guard Gold certified. Green Guard is a uh, green certification that applies to many products, but Green Guard Gold is the highest tier of Green Guard certification. And for paint, um, what that means is we actually they actually put the paint in a environmental chamber that's meant to mimic the air inside a typical home environment. And it measures the off-gassing for two weeks to ensure that it stays below the zero VOC threshold during that entire time because paint can continue to off-gas for years, actually. So when you buy a paint that's not zero VOC, it will be emitting you know, carbon compounds into your air potentially for years. <laughs> um, and a lot of people don't realize that. And especially nowadays when we are spending all of our time inside in our homes, um, it's very important that we make uh, better choices. Um, and uh, you know, there's just so much harmful stuff all around us. And, and so we just wanted to minimize that as much as we possibly could. Um, you know, our, our packaging, you know, it, a lot of our packaging and products, like some of our paint supplies and things are made from recycled materials. So whenever possible, we really try to make the best possible choices. And we are not doing everything perfectly, you know, admittedly, like we, as a young company, there's still a lot of room for improvement. There's certain things that we want to make even more sustainable. Um, but I think we're off to a really good start. Um, and we're, you know, as transparent as we can be with our customers. And we hope that that gives them confidence in our brand and in our product. I, I love this. Just in my, my last episode, um, I talked about that same idea where even though, you know, you're trying really hard and you think like you're doing everything as, as, as well as possible, there's some things that you yourself know as a brand, you, you're not quite there yet. And you talk about that too. And I think that alone is such a huge difference when you think about the paint companies from, you know, from the 40s and 50s, right? Um, you know, what it it is so nice as a consumer today to see brands talk about not only the things they do well, but also the things that they know they want to improve upon, because that is just, that is just as important. And that's, and that's how that's how you feel like a brand is really transparent. And let's talk about transparency for for a second here. Um, moving over to your brand language, which is really real. It's 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 very down to earth. Um, you had an Insta post about WAP remixed, <laughs> which of course stood for wet as paint. <laughs> your your colors are named Headspace, Whipped, No Filter, and Dirty Martini. How, how did the brand language manifest itself. Um, did it start with a, with a mantra that you set and then it organically built from there? Honestly, so much of it is an extension of me and my personal brand voice, mm. to be honest, but also like the customer that we're reaching and what I think resonates with them. And also just looking at the market and looking at traditional paint brands, you know, I think paint brands are pretty boring and like, you know, and we wanted every element of our brand experience to feel memorable and to evoke emotion. And so when it comes to things like the color name, you know, color names, we wanted to have fun with that and um, create names that made you feel something. And, you know, and, and, and our brand voice um, on social media, you know, we want to be relatable. We want to talk about what's ha happening in pop culture and relate our product back to that because that's what people are can care about that's what's top of mind and you know we don't want to just be this faceless corporate entity that no one actually cares about we want to be a brand that people connect with and they follow us because we are approachable and or entertaining um, and inspiring and so that's super important and you know we try to have those core brand voice pillars of you know being friendly and approachable carry throughout um, you know every aspect of the brand from the website to our social 
um, you know, and more. And, uh, you know, it's really just, um, I think, another way that we differentiate ourselves from from the market. And I was just about to ask that, like, how do you how do you set and keep those those standards um, as it relates to the voice? And, and you just answered that, uh, you know, that there are certain pillars around which you want to navigate as you talk to your to your customer. But talking about naming. How did the name come about? It's, it's, it's a very modern take on naming. Uh, we have many first name brands floating around, but, but it's, it's not Nicole, it's Claire. And, yeah. once, <laughs> and once you try to actually get some help finding a perfect color, you agreed it with a message on your website that says, hi, I'm Claire. Think of me as your personal interior designer. I'm here to help you find the perfect color for your space. What's the story behind the name? Who is Claire? So it's so funny. I wish I had a more profound naming story, <laughs> but originally when I was thinking of names or when I, when Claire was just in the idea phase, I was, I wanted to be able to talk to some people about what I was working on. And so initially my whole, my only intent was just to come up with a working title, just like a good enough name for now, you know, and then come up with something perfect later. So I probably spent like 20 minutes. I was looking on um, a, a baby naming website where you can reverse <laughs> look up um, like name meaning. So if you wanted your kid's name to mean happiness or whatever, you like type in happiness and it tells you all the words that like all the names that relate back to that. So I literally typed in things that tied back to color. So I looked up, you know, adjectives like bright and you know, colorful and vibrant and whatever and saw what names came out. And Claire just sort of stood out. Um, Claire comes from a Latin root word, Claris, that means bright and brilliant. Um, and there's a lot of fun wordplay there, both brilliant and bright in terms of color, but also brilliant in terms of being innovative and forward thinking as a brand. And, you know, I Googled it. There was, you know, th there, there was no other brand that really had the name Claire. There was like an insurance kind of, I don't remember exactly what they sold. There was something, but like in a completely non-competitive space. Um, so it was a name that was available and it was a good working title. And then as we started, as I really started kind of moving forward with the brand and doing some conceptual branding work and things like that, um, it sort of just stuck and it fit and there was no other name that made sense. But I think originally it was, I knew I wanted a name that, that was personified so we could really build a personality around the brand. That's why I went to a baby naming <laughs> website. <laughs> um, and I wanted it to be friendly and approachable. And I intentionally wanted a feminine name because in the paint world, All of the brands that dominate are these hyper masculine names, you know, Sherwood Williams. And so true. And, yeah. You know, it, I think they're not appealing to who's really making the household decisions, which is usually the woman of the house. Um, and, uh, you know, I, f I felt like paint brands are overly masculine in their appeal. Yeah. Um, and I think a part of the reason is because a lot of them are catering to professionals and a lot of pro, pro painters are men. Um, but at the same time, when you think about the DIY market, the people making the household decisions are women. And, yeah. and I think the big brands are kind of failing to really resonate um, in an authentic way. And, and, and so that was something that was super important, you know, as a brand founded by a woman in an industry that is dominated by men um, to take a, a, you know, a complete 180 approach um, to how to every aspect of our brand, including the, the choice of name. So interesting. I never, I never thought about how how those paint names are are just absolutely not uh, reflecting today's do-it-yourself customer. Super interesting. 
your selection is, is, is still narrow and it's highly curated and that is by design. Less is more. Um, a recent customer review on your website stated, the limited but lovely colors totally saved me from having an existential crisis over the thousands of options from other brands. How do you how do you control the number of options you give your 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 customers once you introduce a new color? I know you just introduced a couple of new colors. How do you play this game, right, of keeping things fresh but yet having it very curated so that people don't freak out about the 4000 options of white? Yeah. Well, I mean, we launched with 55 colors and originally that was, you know, we believed that those were you know, those covered most of the use cases you would ever have in a home, right? And there's certainly opportunities to expand the palette and mix in a few new things, but it's not hard to to, <laughs> to keep things curated relative to the traditional paint brands that are that are in the thousands. And yeah. so, you know, building on from that original 55, our approach has always been, well, if we're going to introduce new colors, let's make sure they're colors we know our customers will love. So, so far... Every new color we've introduced has been uh, crowdsourced or with some sort of crowdsourced feedback from our customers. So, um, you know, they've either voted on the colors or, you know, with our most recent um, set of colors, we did a March Madness style paint playoffs bracket. And, uh, you know, the, the, the predictions from the customers ultimately dictated which colors ended up in our palette. Um, and the two newest colors that we launched were actually... Uh, part of the original, like our paint playoffs from last year, where we ended up introducing a blue and a green, but there was also a pink and a yellow that that were super popular. And so we introduced those after the new year um, this year in, in 2021. And so, um, you know, that that's always core to us is making sure that you know we include our customers in the in the process. And then, you know, another core part of our color differentiated color differentiation is that we are designer curated. So even the colors that our customers helped choose were sort of pre-vetted by me through my interior designer lens. Um, our original 55 colors were curated um, by me. And I think in the future, you know, there might be some collaboration opportunities with other designers to kind of maintain that voice of authority of, of being interior designer curated colors. But I think that having that expertise behind the color palette um, as well as input from customers to ensure they'll love the colors really helps to take the guesswork out of the process. And, um, you know, again, like give, give people less choice, but the best choice, right? Like, um, so, you know, really just simplifying those decisions for the customer to help them get to faster decisions. Cause that's another terrible thing about the paint industry is because there's so much choice, people get paralyzed and it actually takes them a really long time to make a decision and the buying journey can be really, really long. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, looking, looking back, um, you know, because, you know, we, we, I, I thought your company was founded in 2017, but that's, I think when you just started laying the groundwork and really it's, it's, it's a very young brand. Um, yeah. what was that one big breakthrough moment, uh, where we, where you felt like, okay, we are moving from startup into brand right now. Like, what was that? What was that one moment? It could have been, you know, a, a seed funding or series a could have been, uh, you know, a moment that you had with a customer where you felt like they totally get it. Uh, it could be sales figures, whatever. What was that moment where you sat back and you're like, wow, this was, this was a special moment. Honestly, I think it was the day we launched because I <laughs> 
I had spent, you know, probably almost two years at that point, a whole year just thinking about the idea. And then another year actually putting that idea into, you know, making that idea a reality and raising capital and then building behind the scenes all before we launched to the public. So on the day that we launched, you know, we had a tremendous amount of press coverage and the media really got it and, you know, described our brand uh, re relative to, to the competitors in the market. And I think really captured well how, how we stood out. And then immediately the customer feedback was super validating. Um, and, you know, kind of like the quote that you read from the customer, we heard that kind of thing since day one. This has been the best, easiest paint shopping experience I've ever had. I'm never going back to the big box store again. That kind of thing, you know, we heard from the very beginning. And, and you know, are, again, are we doing everything perfectly? Probably not still a ton of room for improvement, but the basic premise and the basic problem that we set out to solve, um, I think immediately was validated that we were solving a real problem and, and, and creating a much better experience than what these brands who have been around for 200 years have not been able to create. And I think we're, we're super proud of that. And, you know, we're still, you know, what feels like in the beginning of our journey. And um, so there's a lot of, a lot more we we're, you know, we have in the works to, to continue improving upon the paint shopping experience, but I think we're off to a great start. You know, you might be surprised, but I never heard that answer. And I asked that question pretty much on every show because I think it's so interesting, but, but usually it's not right when you launch and, and usually it's when you launch that you get some good customer feedback, but that the press was immediately so interested because they themselves knew here is a category that hasn't been disrupted yet. And that hasn't been done in the right way. And, and I, I remember fast company said the Warby Parker of paint is here, right? So it very, very quickly happened that the press led this conversation, which is, I mean, that's the big success you can have if that happens immediately upon launch because then you know everyone will see a need for this so that's that's really great well on the flip side was there any was there any brand fail that you went through where, where you felt like oh my god we just did a huge faux pas and maybe something that listeners can learn from yeah you know i will i i i don't know if it's so much of a brand fail as more of a a business fail or a marketing general marketing fail. Um, you know, we, we so far, thankfully have not had any major snafus of like our, you know, with our, our brand voice or anything like that. But um, you know, we're going through this really painful experience right now in that when we launched, you know, I didn't have a technical background. I'm a very non-technical founder. Um, so I hired a super talented team of people who were great designers to build our website but at the time, without knowing then what I know now, we built an overly complex custom website. Mm. Um, and it requires, and we're a small team, we don't have any in-house developers. So it requires a lot of resources to maintain our website. Um, and, uh, and then on top of that, you know, I think the architecture wasn't as clean as it could be, and it has just created so many problems for us. So two and a half years in, we're actually replatforming our website, uh, you know, fully onto Shopify, which mm -hmm. is like such a great e-commerce, you know, platform. And especially when we had zero customers, like, <laughs> you know, generally, you know, with MVP, you kind of start small and grow from there. But we, we came out the gate with this super custom website that looked beautiful, but behind the scenes is just kind of really messy and, and complicated and um, causes us, it, cre it just creates a lot of like back end pain points. So um, you know, we're, we're going through that process right now to, to replatform and it's a big undertaking. It's actually, I feel like it's more work 
to replatform a site than it is to build a brand new site from scratch because there's more that can go wrong. When we originally built our site, we didn't have any customers yet. Now we have, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that visit our website. And, you know, we don't want to disrupt that experience or um, lose, um, you know, functionality that was there before. And so there's just way more room for, for errors with this kind of next go around. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a taking up a lot of time that we didn't intend to be spending. And, you know, so I would say, Launch your brand on Shopify because you're going to learn everything you need to learn. And, you know, maybe when you get to a certain scale, you can go custom. But, um, you know, that that was a big lesson learned and what I would consider somewhat of a fail because um, I just didn't know better. And, uh, you know, we, we just spent way too much developing and building the site that we have that doesn't actually function the way we need it to. Well, and you come from an interior design background, so of course the design is 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 is, is most important in the beginning, right? And so one one thinks you, you you don't think about you know tens of thousands of people you know starting shopping you know on on Claire .com immediately, but but since you're successful, that happens next, and you know so um, <clears throat> I think I think it's extremely important that you talk about something which which some people might not think is important. It it, it can be extremely disruptive to a business, and uh, I, I work with an agency that does a lot of Shopify. Um, websites and for them it's the exact same customer that keeps coming back to them where they were you know they, they they created it in a different environment and everything was really clunky and then it it becomes i mean we're talking about a lot of money being spent when you have to redo a site in in, in shopify oh, yeah. so <laughs> well, this is <laughs> this is important you um, know young startup cash is king so you know to to make a costly mistake is really painful and um this is definitely a very costly learning experience yeah no totally it's not like like you said it's not necessarily a brand fail and it's not necessarily fail period because it's just kind of like it's that whole like you know fail forwards idea it's like you know you you you, you know it, it was a logical thing to do to do a site that just looks good um since this is a branding podcast, um, I love answer. I love having my uh, guests always answer this one question, and it's not an easy one. Um, what is one word that can describe your brand? If if you literally think about your brand inside out, right? The, the culture, you know, what you stand for, your customer, your offering. If you if you would put it all through a funnel, and out comes one or two words of like, this is what we stand for. What would it be for you? I would say inspiring. Um, you know, and that, that's a word that I think permeates every aspect of our brand experience and how, how we hope that our customers perceive us, you know, from, from the shopping experience that is, you know, a world of difference from that cluttered aisle in a hardware store, you know, and full of inspiration to, you know, how the brand engages with us on social media. You know, we want to be, um, uh, there to guide them and there to inspire them to create a beautiful home that they'll love coming home to every day. Um, and, you know, in our color assortment, in, uh, you know, just our overall brand voice, we want people to walk away feeling inspired by Claire. Um, and so that's, that would be the one word that, that I'd say sums up uh, I love it. everything out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What, what, now that we talk about branding, um, and I warmed you up, <laughs> what does, what does branding 
mean to you? Um, you you've seen, I mean, obviously you lived in the world of branding all, all your professional life in one shape, way or the other. You you, you were an internet keels, um, you know, then there was the Victoria's Secret, uh, you know, uh, you know, job and, and, and you just, and, and then you're running your own service, you know, company really as interior design. So I think you've seen a lot of different uh, facets. What does branding mean to you? That's a good question. I think it can mean many things, but if I had to simplify it, it's creating an aesthetic that could be um, translated into a lifestyle. I think, you know, I think of Claire very much as a lifestyle brand, but also everything I did before in my career ultimately was was around building a lifestyle. And, um, and so I think in the world of e-com consumer, um, you can't just be a nameless, faceless brand because, right, anyone can create a logo and uh, a tagline and come up with a name and call it branding. But I think it's truly branding when, um, you know, what you've set out to achieve um, is absorbed by your customers and uh, and that your customers actually relate to and your customers can can derive value from. So that's kind of that a little bit of a long-winded answer, but that would be, you know, what I what I think of as as branding and what I think creates a successful branding. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, it's like the, the, there's the foundation, which you know everyone needs a logo and a name and colors and all of that good stuff. But that doesn't make a brand. That's that's you know that that's important to have. Um, but what makes a brand is really is really the soul of it, and and that might start with with the founder who who injects it into the company, um, or it might be certain principles or or you know or or a purpose, a, a greater purpose. So I'm glad yeah. I'm glad that you said that. Absolutely. Yeah, brand has to connect. It, it can't just it can't just be, you know, some abstract thing. It really has to resonate. What's what's a piece of brand advice for founders? Uh, may, maybe maybe even e-commerce founders. You know, as a takeaway from from what you learned, besides starting on Shopify, obviously, <laughs> but, but from a brand perspective, is there anything that you can you can advise the next generation of of, of founders on? Yeah, I would say focus on experience. Um, mm. You know, that that's like, I mean, even from the like school of just Jeff Bezos, but something I, I, I can attest to with, within Claire is if you can continuously deliver a delightful experience for your customer, that is what's going to propel your brand forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's what's next for for Claire besides potentially looking at the in-person retail experience, which, which which I kind of pulled out of you, and I'm sorry if you didn't mean to talk about that. But what what are you really excited about with Claire for the next I don't know six months year? Yeah, I mean six months. I think in the world of startups, still is kind of forever. But oh, yeah. uh, you know, just thinking about um, new products and how we can extend, continue to deliver more for our customers. Um, you know, uh, so we have some exciting things in the pipeline there. Obviously, I touched on this new website that we're in the process of of building, which aesthetically will probably look quite similar to our current site, but um, hopefully we'll we'll deliver a better just overall experience. So I think that's like a top top priority that's gonna take us through, you know, even through through Q two, um, and um, have some cool partnerships in the works. So you know, uh, creating opportunities to reach more customers, but also um, you know, without giving away too much, but, um, you know, yeah, just creating a, a cool opportunity for us to get in front of new audiences and things like that. So, um, yeah, I'd say in the, in the short term, those are the, the key things that we're, we're most excited about. 
Very cool. Where can listeners learn about uh, about Claire and start painting their walls anew? Yeah, well, visit us at claire.com, spelled C-L-A-R-E. Um, you can also follow us on social at Claire Paint, and we hope to see you soon. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to be on Hitting the Mark, Nicole. We really, we really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Nicole Gibbons, what a pleasure having had her on the show. I hope you enjoyed it and you gained a new perspective on the paint industry and on disrupting a steel industry, on naming, on Shopify, I could go on and on. Please rate the show and do catch up on all the other wonderful past episodes of Founders being interrogated by yours truly about all things brand, which you would not be able to hear anywhere else. Hitting the Mark is produced by my consultancy, Finian, where we create clarity for brand transformations. This episode, again, was edited by the wonderful Everett Barton, and the Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by Happiness One. I will see you next time, when we once again will be hitting the mark.